0: reading of the scriptures, uh, reading from Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 to 20, invite your reverent attention to the reading of God's word and may God give us grace both in the reading and the hearing of it uh, to hear and read in faith. So from Genesis chapter 12, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princess of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dwelt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me again for a time of prayer. Oh, Father, again we come to you. <clears throat> we are thankful for the privilege of prayer approaching uh, the throne of grace and help and mercy. We worship you, O oh, Father. Great are you and greatly to be praised, as is the great Son and the good Spirit that you have given to us our triune God, worthy of all praise and adoration, laud and honor. We come to uh, turn thanksgiving for all that you have done for us, have done, will do, that you sustain us in this life. You have given us all things needful for this life and for godliness. Uh, We thank you for uh, providing our daily bread, and uh, out of which we have brought a measure uh, in Uh, to return to you, and we ask your blessings on this for the uh, advancement of the kingdom and the welfare of those in need. Uh, We do pray and remember this morning those of our congregation uh, who are uh, ill, we ask your blessings to be upon them, all that is being done for them uh, for the uh, health of the body. May it Be blessed of you uh, for that health as it is well with their souls for those who cannot be here because of age or infirmity we pray for your presence to be uh, sweet upon them this morning Uh, we miss them uh, but we love them and pray for them we pray for our children and grandchildren Uh, we pray that we would have the great joy to see them (coughs) walking in the truth Uh, and so we commend them to your saving grace and your keeping grace for them. Uh, Protect us as a congregation and uh, as households from all the dangers abounding in this fallen world, Uh, dangers from uh, lawless men, dangers from uh, the unseen world of spiritual dangers and deception, but we commend ourselves to a faithful God who was well able to keep us, and we are thankful for that so that we might uh, walk in a way worthy uh, to bear witness to the gospel of Christ. Uh, we pray these things that it would be uh, fruitful uh, in our ministry in this, con- in this community, both as a church and where you place us individually. And Father, we are thankful for Phil for his return. Thank you for his ministry and the word to us. Uh, But we look to you and to your spirit to bless the word to us this morning. Your word, which is firmly fixed forever in the heavens, may it go forth in power. May the spirit of God open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word and to use it to equip us uh, for every good work and uh, to make us wise and skilled for living in a fallen world as we await thy return or our leaving this world to be with you, all in the will of God. So bless us in now in this time, uh, and we ask these things in the name of the eternal word, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers.
1: As you know, one of the great themes of uh, the book of Genesis is the fall and the effects of the fall, uh, not just in those who are not God's people, but even those that are God's people. And uh, we're going to see the effects of uh, the fall in the man that God has chosen to raise up uh, a nation uh, to serve him, namely uh, uh, Abram. It is, uh, of course, uh, well to remember that God in His grace will eradicate all of the effects of the fall in eternity. So we are caught in a great transition time in life hoping for that time in which he eradicates the effects of uh, the fall, uh, but waiting and trusting in him until he comes to do that. And Abraham has that same problem. uh, Trusting and waiting upon the Lord. Reminding us that God does not save the perfect. Because certainly we will study Abraham and Sarah and we will learn, just like you and me, that they have a lot of imperfections. And God is going to work those things out uh, in their lives. So, he saves the imperfect and begins spiritual renewal. uh, The great hope of the gospel through Jesus Christ. Our our text this morning is that uh, Abram's journey to Egypt is a divine provision in the midst of a famine uh, where God tests Abraham. And he fails the test, just like you and me. He tests us throughout our lives, and uh, hopefully we graduate a little bit uh, each and every time, but we hopefully uh, experience by the grace of the Spirit uh, increasing sanctification, but in this case, Abraham is going to fail. It's not the only time he will fail, and we're going to watch in a few chapters Sarah fail. Grace, is it not? You and I fail, and God still smiles upon us. Or none of us would ever make it. Uh, But that is God's goodness uh, to the great patriarch. Uh, By way of reminder, the promises of God uh, to Abram in the previous paragraph is that he will make of the patriarch a great nation and bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. It is, in many respects, as if a divine shield has fallen over Abram to protect him. And also to secure his future. Think about it. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So God is going to protect Abram. There's no question about it because the promise comes from the eternal God. But in the midst of that great promise, which in and of itself has great security, anyone who tries to harm you, Abram, I'm going to to mess with them. And I'm going to keep and preserve you. God still is going to test His people. Uh, You and I, in Christ alone, are secure because of Christ alone. But that doesn't mean we don't go throughout life and face the tests of life. Uh, What are Abram's tests? He's promised to make a great nation of him, right? And Sarah is barren. Figure that one out. He's also promised to give him the land. He's gone throughout the land, our previous context, from north to south. He knows what God is going to give him, but the Canaanite is in the land. How is one family going to defeat all these nations? And then there's a family. Again, I would remind you that throughout our lives in different ways, different venues, God's going to bring tests into our life. Maybe it's a relationship with someone. Maybe it's a a business deal uh, where you're asked to do something to compromise your faith. Um, Maybe it's uh, your profound love for your children, but... um, You try to do for things uh, for them, and in and of itself, it's a test because you begin to question whether God is going to work. All of those things, and of course, many, many more. Uh, So, in verses ten to sixteen, God God tests Abram, and tragically, he fails. So he goes down to Egypt, and he becomes fearful about what the Egyptians might do to him and Sarah. Uh, Reminded of. uh, uh, the very wise words of Thomas Stonewall Jackson who who said, do not take counsel of your fears. All of us become fearful in life. Life presents us with many, many venues and sometimes uh, they cause us to fear. But don't listen to your fears. Do what's right. Trust God. And leave it to Him. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. And that's really the test that breaks upon Abram. There is a greater application for us in terms of the famine, because you and I are living in the midst of a profound spiritual famine in our country. Uh, There is uh, opulence everywhere. There is food, seemingly, uh, to be had at every grocery store I I ever go into. Uh, But there's, there's a greater famine, is there not? Uh, remind you of the words of Amos chapter 8 and verse 11. And Amos is speaking of the end time tribulation that has as a particular marker spiritual famine. Here's what Amos says. Chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days are coming. We're in those days right now, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for the hearing of the words of the Lord. And you and I, as Christians, are to persevere uh, to be faithful to find a place to worship God where the Word of God is honored for what it is, is the very words of the living God. inscripturated for us in the Bible, uh, and we are to give our affections and our hearts to it. Everywhere else there's entertainment, there's trips, there's this, and there's that. Nothing in and of itself wrong with those things. There's a great musical entertainment in many churches, well and good. Not here to discuss that. But our primary priority in life is to give our hearts to God's living and abiding word. And so we're to persevere in the pursuit of that. Well, Abraham concocts a story about his wife, doesn't he? So he's going to trust in his own wisdom. Look, my wife is profoundly beautiful, and I'm going to go down to Egypt because there's some food there, and uh, they're going to see my beautiful wife, and they're going to take her uh, to the home of Pharaoh, and they're going to kill me because, uh, I mean, really, this beautiful woman belongs in uh, Pharaoh's uh, household. So he says, uh, because, sir, you're beautiful... Tell the Egyptians that you're my sister. It's a half-truth. But nonetheless, he's trusting in his own understanding, is he not? So he he concocts this story. uh, Because he's fearful that they're going to kill him and take his wife. Uh, The lesson for us is quite profound. God does not need us to compromise our faith to help him. He is well-equipped and well-able to fulfill the promises that He's made to Abram. Think of the promise. Is it true or not? The Egyptians cannot kill him Because God has just told him, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. They cannot take Sarah into Pharaoh's harem either Because she belongs and she is the only venue that Abram has to raise up a son of promise. Well, again, I understand Abram. He fails. We all fail spiritually. He concocts a story. Um, He's essentially saying, God cannot rescue me. I'm in such a pickle that not even the great God of heaven who created the earth and the stars, and the moon, and the sun. He cannot rescue me. I have to engage in self-rescue. I need to bear false witness to help God. Sometimes you and I think similar way. Uh, it's a breach of Abraham's uh, trust in God, in his promise, and more fundamentally, in a way, it has a way of jeopardizing the promise because if Pharaoh should take Sarah into his harem. Uh, It's going to jeopardize Abraham having a son of promise. And God has promised him a son. It's very interesting. There's some words here in this text that remind us of the fall. Uh, There are three words. uh, The Hebrew verb to see. uh, The verb that is good and beautiful. Beautiful. And then the verb to take. Where else have we seen those three words? Well, Genesis 3. Eve saw the tree. That it was good. And she took. And then she gets her husband to do the same. And the fall breaks upon all of humanity. Setting in motion that God will bring a Redeemer. That we have come to worship this very day named Jesus Christ because salvation is only in Him. We saw it in Genesis chapter 6. The sons of God, believers, saw the verb, the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And they took them. And they corrupted the faith so much so that God has to send a flood to cleanse the earth. What do we see here? Well, we have the verb to see, the Egyptians see Sarah, that she is beautiful, it's a cognate verb of the, of the word uh, tove or beautiful in Genesis 3 and 6. And then to take. They take Sarah. Let's, let's read verses 14 and 15. And it came about that when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman who was very beautiful. And Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So, she's taken into Pharaoh's house to begin the process of inducting her into his harem. Before the process is consummated, something happens. God shows up and intervenes. And that's what God does for his people. He seemingly is absent, but he shows up and he strikes Pharaoh's household with a plague. It's a reminder that grace preserves us each and every day of our lives. I think someday in eternity, we will come to the fullness of the understanding how each and every day of our lives, grace protected us, shielded us, watched over us, and brings us to the end. That's exactly what's occurring here. Pharaoh is going to do something seemingly to harm God's promise to the patriarch. God's not going to permit that to happen. He intervenes. He strikes Pharaoh's house with a plague. So in verses 17 to 20, God intervenes. Based upon what? How does God deal with His children in grace? Does He take out Abram's blue book and, well, you flunked that test, Abram. No, He's going to intervene in grace. How does God deal with all of us in grace? How does He save us? Because we're better than someone else? Because a priest says some words over us? No, He saves us in grace. The grace of God in Jesus Christ. And he deals with us by his spirit in grace. That is God's way of dealing with his children, even when they fail. Now, that's not to make us irresponsible. But it is the grace of God to be sure. And so in verse 17, God strikes. And the plagues come into Pharaoh's uh, house. Uh, Does this remind us of anything? Well, absolutely. It's a forerunner of the great plagues in the Exodus narratives. God promised to rescue the nation from slavery. Pharaoh said, no. I want the sons of God to build me temples to worship my gods. And God strikes him with plagues and eventually destroys him as a testimony that the gods of Egypt will not and cannot prevail against the mighty God that is our Savior. And we all need to remember that because sometimes we're terrified by the gods of this world. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a professor. God is going to protect His own. It's very likely that Abram was was concocting in this scheme of uh, telling this half-truth about Sarah that he was going to figure out some way to escape. But it's our reminder that God does not need our help. He can save his own without their help. Think of it this way. If the Egyptians killed Abraham, then the promises of God are nullified and God doesn't work. He promises, but he can't fulfill them. If Pharaoh compromises Sarah, the promises are of no effect but God's promises cannot be nullified. Therefore, we should not corrupt them in half-truths or in compromising events. Think of the great words of the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 11. Verse 29. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God has called Abram and Sarah She's going to have a son. Nothing can get in the way of that. If God has called you to faith in Jesus Christ, nothing can separate you from His love. Absolutely nothing. Because the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They cannot be changed by men. The greatest of men, the most powerful of men, because God is greater than them all. So the God here is the real keeper who shows up in a time in which his appointed patriarch has done something quite foolish. In sovereign grace, he rescues him because he's going to secure and keep and create a spiritual nation for himself to advance his kingdom. I'd remind you that you and I are the greater sons of Abraham. Because of faith in Christ. He's the beginning of the physical nation. But the greater reality is in Christ. And by faith in Christ, we are the true sons of Abraham. It's a good reminder to many of our culture who think that, well, I'm a Christian and I'm going to go back to the old ancient ways of Israel and the laws of Israel and the temple of Israel. We don't do that. Why? Because of Christ. He is the beginning of the end time temple. He is... The instate state of the promises of God. And by faith, we become the true sons of Abraham. It's interesting that Pharaoh rebukes Abram and sends him away enriched. I, I smile at that because that's the beauty and the majesty of grace. Think about it. Abraham has jeopardized the life of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to enrich him. There's a word for that. What is that word? It's grace. It's grace. He doesn't deserve it. None of us deserve anything from God. So Abraham comes in, jeopardizes Pharaoh, jeopardizes the promises of God. Pharaoh kicks him out and enriches him in the process. By the way, in in our lives, the Spirit of God uh, in our salvation enriches us greatly and intensely. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing. Nothing with It's grace because Abraham has no merit whatsoever. It's one of the great dangers of competing systems of theology. Well, if I clean up my life, God will elect me. No, God doesn't save the qualified. He saves the lost in grace. It's very ironic that Abram is rebuked by a, by a pagan, isn't it? It's a beauty of grace. In his failure, God keeps him in display of his power and love because God keeps and preserves his own. The lesson is for Abram and for all of us is trust, not compromise, is the essential of the Christian faith. It's a great lesson of the providence of God. The providence of God is His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. At every moment of this time, God is preserving Abraham and also dealing with Pharaoh. That's our hope as believers in Christ. I remind you that Abraham and all of us are on a journey of faith. It is a journey. There are many different chapters. Sometimes we fail and we close that chapter and keep moving on. And we trust God. And we learn that God does not need our help in compromise. He needs us to walk by faith and to trust Him each and every day. And He will work it out regardless because He is our great Redeemer. Let remind you of a couple of uh, great texts of this end. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you know Christ as your Savior, that same veil, if you will, that fell upon Abraham falls upon us. We are protected by the power of God for a salvation yet to be revealed. God is your protector, your keeper. He watches over you. Constantly moving you onward to the greater chapters in your life until eternity breaks upon us. One of my favorite is Jude, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called... Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Think about it. We are kept for Christ. Kept for His kingdom. Kept for His service. And the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They cannot be revealed. It's a great promise of God to His sons and daughters. So Abraham is learning that he doesn't need to compromise his faith. He doesn't need to concoct stories. He simply needs to trust God. And you and I must learn the same lesson each and every chapter of our life. Trust God, not compromise. It's God's way. Trusting Him. Oftentimes, I find myself in the occasion of writing people, and for whatever reason, I will close with a verse. And one of my favorite verses to close with is Proverbs three, five, and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths smooth. And I know it's a. I know it's a test. We we go through different chapters in life we encounter difficulties and we say, well, God can't take me through this. How am I going to solve this problem? Well, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Be very careful about concocting half-truths or compromising your faith. Simply wait upon the Lord and trust in Him. Great story that I'm reminded of uh, number of years ago when I was reading uh, Ian Murray's uh, uh, biography on Arthur Pink. Um, As you know, Arthur Pink labored diligently and valiantly in preaching and teaching his beloved scriptures. Uh, But in the time in uh, which he lived, the church was uh, retreating from the great doctrines of the faith. Uh, He experienced pronounced rejection, Uh, because he held to the same doctrines that we hold to at Grace Bible Church today. Uh, Unfortunately, Pink withdrew and isolated himself. Not a very wise choice, but uh, we all sometimes engage in the same. One day in the town of Stornaway while on a walk, he was greeted by a friend, another Christian gentleman, who said to him, How are you keeping, Mr. Pink? And Pink replied, I'm not keeping, I'm kept. That's the story of our lives as Christians. Kept for Christ. Kept by the power of God. And in the keeping process, we're to trust Him, not compromise. Is the way of God. Now, of course, I I do remind you that we have a duty and responsibility in the reality that God disciplines His sons. God's going to discipline Abraham to move him along out of the chapters of his life in which he fails. We also have the promise that the Lord is our keeper. As you know, because I on occasion remind you that one of my favorite texts is Psalm 121, verses 5 and 8. The Lord is our keeper. The Lord will protect us from all evil. He will keep our soul and will guard our going out and our coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You know, by the way, who is your keeper? Is it Christ? Is it some preacher or priest? No man, I don't care who consecrates him, can be your spiritual keeper. Only God through Jesus Christ can keep His own. If you don't know your keeper is Christ, flee to Him. Sue for peace. Thank Him for the forgiveness of sin that comes from the cross. And follow Him all the days of your life in trust. The promises are true because the author is the great God of heaven. And again, learn to trust God, not compromise. The greater success story and provision of grace as we all know is in our Saviour who is a distant relative of the patriarch. You recall the story, I know. Because Herod wants to kill the Christ child, his parents take him down into Egypt. Matthew chapter 2. And when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And it was there until the death of Herod. And that was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt did I call my son. Out of Egypt, God calls Abraham. Out of Egypt, he calls our Savior Jesus Christ. You and I in this very day live in a profound spiritual Egypt and a profound spiritual Babylon. And one day God will call us out by His grace and translate us and make us totally new externally and internally. My point respecting this story about Jesus Christ going down into Egypt as a young infant is that this son does not fail. Abraham failed. You and I fail all the time. The Lord Christ does not fail. He does not compromise. Upon that hinges our entire salvation. Had he failed, there would be no hope of salvation from any venue whatsoever. He is faithful to the end, affecting the new creation. As a result, he's the source of all of our blessings. Even though we are fallen and continue to sin, He blesses us just like He blessed Abram in Egypt in spite of ourselves. Thank God for that. Such is meant to hold us and steal us to believe and to be faithful until the end when He comes for us. And we abide in the reality that in our journey of faith, as I Suggested earlier, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in the reality that God indeed is able to keep us. As he kept Abram and Sarah safe in Egypt in a time of profound danger, he is able each and every day to keep and to protect us, to take us to the end. So again, trust. Trust not compromise, is the way of God. It is a beautiful reality that God does not save the perfect, but He uses the perfect one, Christ, to save the imperfect and set in motion their glorification. What a great Savior we have. And it is just to that reality that we repair this morning Uh, ladies and gentlemen, in the sacrament of the Lord's table. For our Savior leaves us a great reminder of all that He's done for us uh, in the cross and in the provision of the Spirit. That each and every day He knows we are hungry, so He gives us bread. Each and every day He knows we are thirsty, so He gives us to drink. Reminding us perpetually that all along the way, in every chapter of life, in all of the vagaries that we confront, He is our keeper. He is with us. Always. The institution of the Lord's table, as you know, is set against the background of the great Passover meal, which signified Israel's redemption from Egypt and Pharaoh. Uh, The name itself, uh, Passover meal, reminds us that the angel of death passed over everywhere there was blood upon the doorposts of the children of Israel and struck everywhere else, reminding us again perpetually that there is only safety in Christ, the great Redeemer. Christ supplants the old Passover meal with the new the Lord's table. It's important to recognize in our understanding of the Lord's table that this is, if you will, a gospel to the senses. It's a sign. But we don't look at the sign itself. We look what is signified by the sign. We're going to eat bread. What's signified is our Lord is the bread of heaven. We're going to drink a cup. There's nothing at all in the grape juice or the wine. It's a signifying that by the shedding of the blood of Christ, we are saved and that you and I celebrate all the benefits of the new covenant. We are reminded of all of those benefits perpetually as we drink of the cup. Now, I would remind you, because the Apostle Paul does so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, that you cannot If you are a Christian, partake of the Lord's table. If you are engaging in some known sin for which you refuse to repent, if that applies to you, you just need to let the elements pass you by. No one's paying attention. You don't need to be embarrassed. No one's taking notes. We're all worried about our own sinfulness and thanking God for forgiving us. But again, it is a reminder. Uh, the Church at Corinth in First Corinthians chapter 11 was abusing the Lord's table in uh, profound uh, negative ways. But we're not to do that. We're to come in humility. Uh, we're to come circumspectly, We're to be profoundly grateful for forgiveness. and we're also come uh, repentant. Remind you of uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 97. What is required for the worthy receiving of the Lord's Supper? It's required of them that would worthily partake of the Lord's Supper that they examine themselves of the knowledge to discern the Lord's body, of their faith to feed upon Him, of their repentance, love, and new obedience, lest coming unworthily they eat and drink judgment to themselves. Leaving that aside, the greater joy for us is the spiritual warrant of why we come to partake of the sacrament. Going to re- read very briefly uh, from the Gospel of John in the sixth chapter. Uh, John chapter 6 and verse 35. Our Lord speaking, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. That's our warrant to come. A continual reminder that we have sufficient bread in Jesus Christ to see us through all the chapters of our life. And sufficient drink in the benefits of the new covenant to see us safely to the end. If I remind you as I break the bread and uh, served, I would encourage you and ask that you would hold the bread until which time uh, we are all served. And then I will pray for us Uh, While the service is being passed, I would encourage you to pray in the fullness of joy and thanksgiving for the joy of the greatness of our Savior Jesus Christ. And then I will pray and we will eat together to signify the unity and the oneness of His church in partaking the bread together. Let's prepare our hearts for the bread. Our Heavenly Father, we are profoundly grateful. For the Savior whose body was broken, that we might have life. And that as the bread of heaven, we have every provision for our journey of faith. We are reminded that our cupboard will never be empty, never be bare. God will always provide for us in our journey in this fallen world. And the element of the bread reminds us of just that. It is perpetual. The benefits are majestic. And so we praise Thee for the gift of the Son. And we praise Thee for the unity of the church that's central to our lives and our faith is Jesus Christ, the only Redeemer of God's elect. And we pray in His name and for our sanctification and His glory. Amen. I would remind you in the uh, service of the cup, in the uh, center of the service there is uh, wine, in the periphery there's grape juice that each may partake in the freedom of their own particular uh, traditions. But uh, more importantly, that Christ drank the cup of judgment, drained it totally, so that his sons and daughters will never, never have to drink of that cup. We drink of the cup of the new covenant. We celebrate all the benefits that accrue to us, and none are withheld because He deals with us graciously through His beloved Son. As in the case of the bread, I ask you to hold the cup until which time all are served. You have ample time if you need to deal with something in your heart to so engage. But more importantly, to praise God for His provision for you each and every day certainly in our great uh, redemption, uh, but also in just simply the affairs of our daily lives and that His benefits uh, cannot be revoked because we are His sons and His daughters. Uh, So have occasion as you hold the cup uh, to thank God for His blessings to you. Let's prepare our hearts to partake of the cup. Our Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge that we deserved... To drink the cup of judgment, but our Savior uh, did so in our place as our great substitute. And because of the perfections and majesty and greatness of his nature, he satisfied for all time the wrath that was due to us. So that we come now to drink, to celebrate, to rejoice, to be thankful, and to apprehend what it means to fellowship with the blessed Redeemer, the host of the table. And we're thankful, Lord, uh, for thy grace that meets us each and every day. And bless us, Lord, in our, in our journey. And may this reminder, in this period of fellowship, equip us all the more uh, to love the Savior more and more. In his name we pray. Amen.